Welcome to Humanity Evolve with your host, Catherine Colarco. This program will bring your life, family, and community together by focusing on the new technologies and innovations that define your world in an open and relaxed forum of ideas and discussion. Now, here is Catherine Colarco. Hello, welcome to the show. This is an amazing opportunity to reconnect with everyone on Humanity Evolved. This is Catherine Calarco, and I am here with the amazing John Chisholm. I, this is an exciting opportunity because John and I have worked together for over 10 years with the MIT Alumni Association, and he's an amazing man that has always shared so much wisdom with so many people and is a great champion of entrepreneurs, business, collaboration, customers, and our MIT alumni community and the world. I mean, lately he's been traveling everywhere with his latest book, which is an if you haven't seen this book, you need to look at it. It's like full of tips and techniques and great math on how to actually analyze your business. It's 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 a it's a amazing guide, an in depth guide to actually unleash. It's called Unleash Your Inter Your Inner Company. Unleash Your Inner Company. So just to give you a little background on John before he comes on board. Uh, this interview today. He is the CEO of the San Francisco-based John Chisholm Ventures. He has over three decades of experience in the Silicon Valley as a CEO and investor. He founded a... Oh, he founded an online uh, technology company called Decision Decisive Technologies, which is now part of Google, and CustomerSat, which is now part of Confirmit. So, uh, and he's also been the ch- president and chairman of the Worldwide MIT Alumni Association, and involved with the Santa Fe Institute. John, it's so wonderful to have you on board. Thank you so much. I, I'd love to hear more about your story and and your background for our viewers. Well, Catherine, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's it's a thrill. I can't think of a more perfect gift, a gig for you than <laughs> than serving as as worldwide radio hostess because or host, I guess, is the proper term uh, because uh, it just fits your outgoing personality perfectly, and um, so lucky your your radio listeners. Um, I. Uh, the first story that comes to mind is uh, the dot-com bust of 2000 and uh, uh, 2001 or two. Yeah, yeah. That's when so many thousands of yeah. companies were going out of business in high tech uh, here in Silicon Valley. And uh, I started a company in '97, Customer Sat. You mentioned it, right. and in the f- first quarter of 2001. I would often wake up in sweat-soaked sheets sticking to my <laughs> skin at two in the morning. Oh my God, I know those days. <laughs> the, our, our second round of financing, our Series B round, refused to close despite flurries of meetings with investors as we ran out of cash. Mm-hmm. And those nights I would wake up, sh- uh, get out of bed, shower off the sweat, and try to get back to sleep. Yeah. And Finally, our management team and I finally realized our Series B round was not going to close. Mm. We huddled to figure out what to do. First, we cut our own salaries, and then a few weeks later, those of all of our employees by 10%. I cut my own salary by 50%. Agonizing and debating over every individual, we laid off 
40% of our workforce, 40% of the company I had spent the last three years of my life building. When I assembled our remaining employees to explain to them that this was the only way we could stay afloat and stay together, I felt my composure collapsing and I broke down sobbing in front of our employees. They stood there stunned, sympathetic, and embarrassed that their CEO was crying in front of them. Mm, mm, what a moment. That, I mean, was, that was the first quarter of 2001 when the dot-com bust really hit us. We had, we had managed to get through 2000 because right. so many we were software as a service and so many of our clients were on one-year contracts that didn't expire until December 31st. But that first quarter of 2001, our revenues fell by 20%, which is a lot for a recurring revenue model company. To help us get through, one of our investors lent me $300,000 for the company, but not to the company, meaning for me to pass through to the company, which would make me personally liable for the loan. And later, I would repay that investor to whom despite the arrangement, I was deeply grateful by mortgaging my townhouse, the townhouse I lived in. Wow. Wow. I mean, the people have really been been there even in 2008. I hear uh, stories like this. So, John, what happened? I mean, how did you how did you sustain through that? And then what what was the outcome? Well, uh, the second quarter, our revenues fell again. As I mentioned, uh, we, we factored receivables. We moved to smaller offices uh, we uh, rented out our ground floor of our office to another startup who quit paying us rent after 60 days and then came in late one night and cleared out all their stuff and disappeared. The nightmare wouldn't end. <laughs> oh, my God. Finally, we could see profitability ahead in the third quarter of 2001. And then, as you know, on September 11th, terrorists attacked the World Trade Center. The entire Northeast communications grid was down. It took an entire day just to confirm that all of our employees were still alive. Mm. Finally, the next day, I was able to issue an announcement. All customer said employees are safe. Even though we were 3,000 miles away here in California, of course, uh, even out here, every company I know had customers or clients who lost family members or uh, employees in the attacks. Uh, one of our clients was Akamai Technologies, who lost right. their brilliant founder Danny Lewin on American Airlines Flight 11. If if the dot com bust did not kill a startup, almost certainly the terrorist attacks of September 11th did. Mm. Well, we mm. did make uh, a profit in the third quarter. We did break even in the fourth quarter, and the going kept stuff kept going tough for the next. Uh, two to three years. We didn't hire a single new employee for 18 months, but we made it through. And mm. the company was acquired uh, in the first quarter of 2008. And often I've wondered why did customer sat survive when so many other companies failed? I think it's fair to say most other companies of our size and, and cohort right. did, not, did not make it through the dot-com bust. Right. And, and it was really that question that led me to write the book, Unleash Your Inner Company, which has a lot in it that I think your readers will find or listeners will find to be fresh. It's a distillation of everything I've learned about entrepreneurship over the last 25 years. Um, some of the messages in the book are uh, the, the ideal company for you to start is absolutely unique to you. No one right. else is your unique 
combination of skills, relationships, passions, technology knowledge. And so the right company for you to start is unique to you and has to be discovered by you. Uh, Second, you have many more advantages to start a company and make it a success than you realize. And the book shows you how to recognize them. Mm. Three is positive feedback loops pervade many aspects of entrepreneurship and more broadly life. And so a large part of success is recognizing, nurturing, and riding positive feedback loops. Uh, A positive mindset is a key part of success. So part of the book is the psychology of entrepreneurship. And finally, any company, no matter how modest, can be evolved and scaled into a large company if you want to. Mm. So those are are some of the unique uh, ideas or relatively fresh ideas I think you'll find in the book. So back to customer sat, why did we survive when so many other companies failed? I absolutely don't think we were smarter than other management teams. We mm-hmm. absolutely did not have more in the way of resources than other management teams did. Customer sat only raised $2.94 million in its entire life. Webvan, mm-hmm. one of our clients, they raised $75 million, then had an IPO in which they raised several hundred million more. And then they famously declared bankruptcy 14 months after their IPO. If I had to attribute customer sat survival and success to just two factors, I would say it was these. One, we cared more deeply about the company than other management teams did, about all aspects of it, about the coolness of our products, about the satisfaction of our customers, and about each other more than Mm. other teams did. And Mm -hmm. two, we stuck with it longer Mm. than other management teams did. Many other startups just threw in the towel and gave up uh, before we did. As I said, it was another seven years. We, We stuck it out. So in summary, I would say it was this combination of passion and perseverance for what we were doing. The very same passion and perseverance that your radio listeners can summon to make whatever it is they're doing successful. Right, right. It's like, it's a, I, I'm fascinated by this because we all have, we've all faced challenges in business and entrepreneurial life. And you've really described one, being caring more deeply and being 100% committed and passionate about this. Second, actually supporting each other and caring about each other. I think that's really fundamental is that you, when you go through hard times, you get it, you get through it with good people around you that are aligned with what you're trying to do. And the last one is being tenacious. And and from my viewpoint, that is a huge advantage in the sense of, look, I care about this. I'm going to keep finding an answer to keep surviving through it and figuring it out. And I I've, I know you, John, and I see that you also have this immense wisdom of defining, getting to the core of what's the most important thing to do and how to actually drive uh, and retain customer uh, sales uh, in, in, in the field of flurries that occur around you. So I think there's a, there's that. The, the the talent around you and the also the tenacity and the intelligence to, to drive through to sustaining that revenue growth. I mean, I saw you do that and I and I think that there's a lot of excellence in the terms of you know how to lead through that as well, right? I, I, well, yes, I I think it's very significant that after that huge layoff that I talked about, there was very little turnover in the company until it was acquired seven right. years. Later. It's it's almost as if the the uh, dot com bust was like a 
furnace that bonded us all together in a crucible. Right. You know, every every business book these days is talking about the importance of passion. That's right. We've we've heard that so many times before. Some business books also talk about the importance of perseverance. No one is talking about how the two reinforce each other and form a positive feedback loop. Mm. Passion is an attitude and perseverance is a behavior. And in many aspects of our lives, our attitudes and behaviors reinforce each other and form a positive feedback loop. Uh, for example, if you, as, as you know, if you're deeply engaged with an activity, if you really love it, the hours can go by like minutes. It's right. easy to persevere in those circumstances. That's an example of passion driving perseverance. Similarly, if you just stick with something long enough, so you start to get good at it and then start to like it and then love it, that's an example of perseverance driving passion. Mm. So you see how the two form a positive feedback loop. And if you can think or if your listeners can think of any area of their lives where they have experienced this positive feedback between passion and perseverance, whatever it is, it might be work-related, might be a sport, it might be a hobby, it might be travel or technology or gadgets or, or uh, learning or anything, that area is probably a really good area to consider starting a business. And mm-hmm. as I say in the book, within those areas, there are only two things you need to start a company and make it a success. And, and those two things are a real unsatisfied customer need and a advantage for satisfying that need. Now, there are tons of real unsatisfied customer needs out there, even just in the areas you're passionate about. Right. And you have tons of advantages, whether or not you realize it. The book shows you how to recognize them. But the two are like puzzle pieces, and they have to fit together. And so uh, it's largely a process of search to find the two puzzle pieces, the customer need and your advantage, that fit each other the best. Where that fit is the best is where you're most likely to be successful. And that is the 10-step process that the book takes you through. It's num- Step number one is what are you passionate about or where in your life have you experienced positive feedback between passion and perseverance? Two, step number two is what are unsatisfied customer needs in those areas? And the book shows you how to find a potentially infinite number all the way through to step number 10, which is scaling up the uniquely differentiated business you've created. Hmm. Uh, that that gives you just a flavor of what the book is about. So, in terms of actually identifying those two things that you need to start your own business, you know what? How the book walks you through these ten steps. Uh, what are you passionate about? What unmet need is, that can you do better? How do you actually uh, find real unsatisfied customer needs? You know, how do you find them, and how do you how can you re- recognize them as unmet and provide a solution to them? Well, it's a great question, and sometimes, especially young people say uh, to me, it seems like all the customer needs out there have already been satisfied. Exactly. Well, exactly. <laughs> well that's ridiculous. That's <laughs> ridiculous. Because every time a new product or service comes to market, yes, it's, it is satisfying a customer need, but it's also creating new customer needs. Uh, in, in fact, every new product or service creates new customer needs in at least three ways. Number one, 
the product itself can be improved. Think of any adjective you can apply to any particular product. It can be made faster, cheaper, cleaner, smarter, uh, lighter, uh, stronger, whatever. Uh, Well, that's an opportunity right there. Uh, one, One potential customer need. Two is the companies that are providing that new product or service have needs. They have sales, marketing, uh, inventory control, control, analytics, you name it. Uh, So there's uh, needs that uh, could potentially be filled. And three is very often new products or services contain, uh, create needs around them. For example, uh, new electric vehicles create the need for charging stations. New mobile devices create the need for uh, uh, containers for those right. uh, uh, carrying cases for those mobile devices. So there's never, there have never been more unsatisfied customer needs uh, than there are today. We just have to discover them. So how do you discover them? <clears throat> Incidentally, this is, uh, b- before I mention one way, yeah. uh, this is why it's so important to work in areas that you're passionate about because in those areas, you bump up against unsatisfied mm-hmm. customer needs sooner than other people do. Right, right, because you're, you're interested. You're products, you're interested in the field, and so you're discovering the limitations of products and services that are currently available in that field before others do. And so that gives you a first mover advantage. The passion and perseverance are also contagious to uh, other members of your team. And it also gives you staying power to break through obstacles, which you will certainly encounter similar to all the obstacles uh, that I, I just recounted about customer sent in the dot-com bust. Right, well, right. how do you identify unsatisfied customer needs? Here's one of Ooh. I'm going to stop you right right okay. there because <laughs> we're going to have to we're, – we're coming up to a break, and I think what we're okay. going to do right after the break is take a deep dive in how to discover unsatisfied customer needs and really how to foster them, one, how to recognize them. And I think I love what you, sta- you stated about the fact that if you're passionate about an area, you will see the unrecognized needs you know, uh, and yes. also be able to uh, aggregate a, a group of people to – to satisfy that unmet need. And so after we come back after the break, we're going to take a deep dive into how to how to discover these unmet needs and how to recognize them. And I'm also challenging my viewers out there to look at unmet needs that also solve global challenges. You know, things like poverty, things like food redistribution, uh, things like homelessness, uh, uh, energy consumption. Uh, look at ways that you can create global impact by actually solving an unmet need Need that also is a population based. It doesn't mean going big in a huge way to begin with, but it does mean there are solutions to tackling that. And uh, so while we're going to on break, we're going to go to listen to our, our sponsors today. We are sponsored by Spire.io and uh, we look forward to coming back after the break and continuing our intense conversation about how to meet unsatisfied customer needs. This is Catherine Calarco with John Chisholm on Humanity Evolve. Thank you. Are you finding your frequency? 
It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. This is Humanity Evolve with Katherine Colarco. To reach our show today, please call in to 1-866-613-1612. Again, that's 1-866-613-1612. Or you may send an email to info at ccolarco.com. Now, back to Humanity Evolve. Welcome back. This is Catherine Calarco uh, with Humanity Evolve Radio Show. Uh, my guest today is John Chisholm, who is an amazing venture capitalist. He's also been a serial entrepreneur and written an, an uh, uh, what I would call an insightful step-by-step guide to unleashing your inner company. And I it, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about you know how to how to find unmet needs and really how to how to build a company around that and John you had a, a story you wanted to convey a little bit about that and then we can dive into some of the how to discover these unsatisfied customer needs yes well uh, Catherine sometimes uh, I get well what if my passions aren't very business like for example mm. let's say my passions are long hot baths <laughs> kittens and comic books and but here's the thing even in these areas there are an infinite number of real unsatisfied customer needs. Let's take them one at a time. Long, hot baths. Well, people like to read and listen to music and talk on the phone when they're in the tub, don't they? Right. How about a floating uh, waterproof case for my iPad or iPhone so I can do those things while I'm in the tub? Kittens. Uh, kittens lose a lot of their cuddliness when they grow up to be cats, don't they? What if there were a diet or genetic therapy that would keep a kitten, a kitten, its entire life? There'd be a lot of demand for that product, wouldn't there? <laughs> Mini cat. Comic books. Well, the hugely successful trade show Comic Con in San Diego, each right. year it's about 150,000 people. People dress up as their favorite comic book characters, hugely profitable. So no matter what your passion is, there will be real unsatisfied customer needs in those areas. We just have to recognize them. Mm -hmm. So it's one technique for 
uh, finding uh, uh, unsatisfied customer needs. Well, here's one technique that I lay out in the book. Think of any product or service that you currently use in an area that you're passionate about. Uh, let's say that you, like me, are a runner. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Well, one of the products that we runners use are running shoes. All right. For whatever product or service it is that you choose, ask yourself, what are three limitations of that product or service? And don't even limit yourself to three. What are as many limitations as you can think of? Well, for my running shoes, I can think of three limitations. Number one, they start to smell after I've worn them too many times. Two. Exactly. They uh, they, if, if I want to change the color of the shoelaces to match my outfit, it's a hassle to right. thre- and rethread those shoelaces every time. And three, they don't tell me how far I've run or how fast I've run, and they should know that, shouldn't they? Right. So they are, those are three possible customer needs uh, around my shoes in an area that I'm passionate about. So I have to confirm that they're real that is, that other people have them and that no one is already adequately addressing them or fully addressing them. All right, well, that means I have to go to shoe stores or go online, talk to people, interview people, see uh, how how many other people seem to have that need and, and how they're currently being satisfied. Let's say that I find some solutions for the shoes that smell and the shoes that don't tell me how far or fast I've run, but I can't find any solution for the uh, shoelaces that are a hassle to thread and rethread each time to match the color of my outfit. Great. That's an opportunity for me to be creative. I can put my head together with other people. Perhaps maybe we come up with an idea like a set of shoelaces that snap on and off of your shoes as a set so that I can simply snap off one color of shoelaces and snap on another very easily to match my outfit. Great. Right, right. So, that's, um, that, that, so there, there's one where the, the customer need is real. Let's say I've established it's real and there is no solution I've been able to find for it. Now, for the other two, the uh, shoes that smell and the shoes that, that don't tell me how far or fast I've run, there are, of course, other solutions to those problems. So uh, the shoes that smell, we have sprays, we have foot pads, but even these solutions have limitations. The sprays and foot pads have to be changed every day, say. Mm-hmm. Well, what if there were a solution where I could go an entire week or an entire month without having to change it? That would be an improvement over what's currently available. Uh, the uh, the shoes that don't tell me how far or fast I've run, well, there are, of course, Fitbits and Jawbone Up and odometers uh, that will tell me how far or fast I've run. But even these have limitations because, uh, or the Apple Watch, uh, because uh, I have to remember to put them on and take them off and they're not always with me. What if it was built into the shoe? Then I wouldn't have to worry about that. So what, we, what we're seeing is that even the solutions currently available to the customer needs that we've identified themselves have limitations. Right. And we can focus on addressing those limitations or seeing if there are any solutions to those limitations. So we start with a single product or service in an area that we're passionate about and it blossoms into an entire tree of, of 
of unsatisfied customer needs that we can confirm are real and unsatisfied. So that's one of the techniques in the book by which you can find a potentially infinite number of unsatisfied customer needs from just one product or service in an area that you're passionate about if you continue drawing this tree out far enough. And of course, all of that is just from one product or service in an area you're passionate about. Think about all the trees you could build around all the different products that uh, that are out there. So that's one of the techniques that uh, we, we talk about in the book for finding mm. unsatisfied customer needs. I think that's fantastic because not only where you're looking at, say, a new market or a new evolution of an existing product, you can also do this to your own. You know, if, like if you're in the phase of growing a business, you can also say, yeah. how, how, are we, how can we innovate to keep ahead Beautiful. of the market? Or how can Beautiful. we actually use this same technique to drive an increase in a particular market or increase awareness of our product or increased satisfaction so you can use this technique as you're building a company as well as starting it so uh, it's a perfect absolutely yes and so when you are building let's say you've got this idea and you actually have been able to successfully find a team and you raised a bit of money and you're you're now growing you're in that emerging growth phase the book talks a little bit about scaling and i hear a lot of that now like how can we rapid scale or how do we actually achieve rapid growth and realize the potential of this particular business you know do you have a few of the same guiding posts or recommendations or processes associated with how to scale a business yes well First of all, that that chapter comes very close to the end of the book because I want the reader to just focus on getting the business started. If you think of any of the huge brands that we take for granted today, uh, McDonald's, uh, uh, Costco, uh, uh, Starbucks, right. uh, uh, all of these, uh, and, and even companies like Facebook and Google online, all of these companies, let's not forget, started with a single customer. Right, exactly. Uh, McDonald's started with a single hamburger store. Uh, Starbucks started with a single coffee shop. Uh, uh, Google uh, started in a garage. Uh, Facebook started in a dorm room. So, uh, any company can be evolved and scaled into a large company if you want to. And here are, are two broad sets of tools. One is making the business itself more scalable. And two is evolving the company's business to a more scalable business model. Mm. And both of these levers we can use in parallel with each other. So making the business more scalable as it is, that generally means making it as efficient as we can. All of the business performance metrics that we're familiar with, like productivity per employee and number of revenue turns if it's a fi- or number of inventory turns if it's a physical product, right. all of those metrics, and the book lays out dozens of of metrics in that chapter on scalability for that class of of uh tools for making the business more scalable right the the more interesting and exciting ones i think uh, for most people are how can i evolve whatever business i'm in uh, into one that is a more that's fundamentally more scalable and and 
there are four or five techniques I lay out in the book there. One is automation, of course. Right. If there are ways that I can uh, replace uh, expensive uh, cost with uh, uh, a capital investment that lets me uh, make a, uh, a, a, a potentially investment first, but the incremental cost for each additional customer that I serve smaller, that adds to scalability. Yeah, exactly. If I, if I can create network effects in my book, in my uh, uh, business, that makes the, the business more scalable. And I'm talking about things like uh, the, the, the fact that the more users of either one type or the same type I have, the more that they attract other users. As, as right. we see on Facebook, Facebook, the more users Facebook has, the more it attracts other users because that's where my friends are and that's where – and so that's a network effect. Um, this, they're, they're, I talk about one-sided and two-sided network effects. One-sided are where all the users are the same, and two-sided is where you have two distinct types of users that attract each other. For example, on Match.com, the more guys that you have, as a general rule, the more gals that you'll attract uh, to Match.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, on uh a monster.com or other employment websites, the more employers you have, the more potential employees you can attract and vice versa. So those are both examples of two-sided networks. Uh, uh, and so if, and the book lays out a step-by-step process for uh, incorporating network effects. Yeah, I, I see this all the time with uh, with what we do in terms of digital health. You know, you you if if the more people you have that are aware aware of it and 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 realize outcomes, right? So they have success. They talk about it to other people. It starts to create this like a wave, you know, a wave of uh, knowledge because it works. So when things work or it delivers on its value proposition or it satisfies that unmet need, it becomes itself a, a virtuous cycle, right? And what you want to do is feed that by enabling automation to enable people that they don't get stuck in the business. They actually get the information they need and they flow effortlessly to get that need met and to achieve the outcome. So I think that, you know, creating your that virtuous network cycle, word of mouth, delivered by the automated processes that enable people to engage with a company in a frictionless yet valuable way creates that one-two, you know, it sort of like doubles the business. You know, it's really quite a phenomenal watching it grow without you having to really put as much energy into it i in there's a table in the book uh this is chapter 24 on scalability that uh, goes from less scalable to more scalable business model and in each case we're either uh introducing network effects or introducing automation or bringing intelligence into the product. And intelligence is another way that we can make our business more scalable. Mm. Uh, If we can, uh, I I use the example of a uh, a stuffed bear, a toy bear that has a limited ability to interact with a child in a meaningful conversation. So, uh, that obviously takes some fixed cost to uh, implement uh, that kind of intelligence into a toy bear. And initially, the range of communication that the bear may have 
might be limited to ages two to four. Right. But if we can invest more uh, so that uh, the bear can have a more meaningful conversation with a child, then I can perhaps extend it from ages two to four up to uh, two to, to six or eight. Mm-hmm. And if the, if the bear can have an even more uh, uh, intelligent conversation with a child, maybe I can extend it all the way up to age 12. Well, the, each of those steps is expanding the market that uh, I can sell my bear into from right. the in stage to the uh, young child to uh, an older child. Yeah. And each one requires more uh, upfront development. But once I've made that development, the amount of cost for selling the bears is limited. It's less, yeah, exactly. Because you've added it onto the platform. Yes. Uh, I mean, the uh, maybe the bear has to have more memory or uh, a faster processor, but that's a relatively low cost. So yeah. It's an example of how at intelligence, and it doesn't have to be uh, that kind of intelligence. The value that you add to your customers might be, say, online reports or uh, information that's useful to them about how they are using your product. Exactly. value doesn't cost you anything once you've developed it to deliver it to each and every customer. And Mm -hmm. so that's a way to make your business more scalable. Yeah. And so what's your view on partnerships? A lot of times people indicate that, well, we got to, if you partner, you can rapidly grow through, through network effect associated with partnering. Do you touch on that in the book at all? I absolutely do. There's a whole chapter on partnerships and uh, the partnerships. I, I used the example of way back in 2003, customer sat was trying to decide whether to uh, open a European uh, data center. And it was a tough decision because we had uh, customers and prospects in Europe who wanted us to do it. But back in those days, it was much harder to remotely uh, manage a data center than it is today. And uh, so it would have been an expensive proposition for us. So we interviewed potential partners in Europe who might provide that service for us. And we went quite a ways down the road. Uh, in exploring it, and mm. one of the uh, we would have had to de- dedicate a person and exactly, and, yeah. So uh, along the way, I had the idea: what is Salesforce doing about uh, European hosting? And he, just so, in case your your uh, radio listeners don't know, Salesforce.com was and still is probably the leading player in the world in software as a service for uh, commercial enterprise apps. And so they, and they were easily, even back in those days, 20, maybe 50 times our size. And so they were a role model for us. And, and hmm. so I happened to know the, the senior VP of marketing there. And I called him up and I asked Tian, what is Salesforce doing for European hosting? Well, it turned out it was a matter of public record that Salesforce did all of their hosting for for their global customer base in North America. Hmm. uh, It suddenly changed the whole picture. And uh, if we realized if Salesforce could do it, surely we could do it. And then we realized, too, the companies that wanted us to host, who cared about uh, 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 data being stored locally in Europe, were not typical of most European companies. 
they tended to be the public-private partnerships like uh, a, a German Bundespost or uh, Airbus right. uh, who wanted and needed uh, the data to be stored uh, locally in Europe. So anyway, uh, we decided not to do it. Right. And I think it's, you know, that actually going through that diligence gave you insights on whether to partner or not partner and how to actually do it. We're coming up to another break now, and I think this is a good point to start. I want to continue our conversation around partnerships because I think we want to get into people and funding because those are the two key things that we, we identify as being successful and driving a business forward. So stay with us. We're going to be right back after the break with John Chisholm. This is Catherine Calarco on Humanity Evolve, talking about how to unleash your inner company. Be back soon. Are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. And join us for a replay of the show on Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. This is Humanity Evolve with Catherine Calarco. To reach our show today, please call in to 1-866-613-1612. Again, that's 1-866-613-1612. Or you may send an email to info at ccalarco.com. Now, back to Humanity Evolve. Welcome back. This is Catherine Calarco with Humanity Evolve, and we're talking today about unleashing your inner company. I have John Chisholm today, and it, right before the break, he was telling us a very compelling story about European Data Center and partnerships, and it was an excellent example of the process of reviewing and connecting and leveraging partnerships for growth. John, finish the story. It was uh, You left us off at, at the de- decision not to do it yourself when you were looking at, say, Salesforce. So continue the conversation and, and, and how did it turn out? Yes. So just to summarize, uh, Catherine, there were three things we uh, learned from that experience 
and three truths about partners that I think the experience demonstrates. Number one, they can help you reach customers that you wouldn't be able to reach otherwise. Right. Two, they are not free. Their benefits come with costs. In this exactly. case, it would have been the cost of setting up the data center, training them, and and staffing uh, that uh, supporting them remotely. And three, in the case of our partners, Salesforce, they provide information sources and flows to you that can help you make better decisions. And in the case of our partner, Salesforce, they helped us make the right decision that we could do all of our hosting globally. Uh, in North America. And so we decided against the um, the European data center back in 2003. So uh, though, uh, partners can serve many purposes, not just sales and distribution, of course. They can be providers of any service that you can imagine. And in fact, in the, the uh, book, there's a big table of all the different things that uh, partners can do for you, technology, product research, operations, manufacturing, distribution, reseller arrangements, retailing online, marketing media. And I think the main thing about partnering is it lets you or should let you focus on what you do best. Right. And and let you outsource to them or partner with them for things that they do best that are complementary to what you do best. Absolutely. I think that's fundamental. And it kind of leads to the discussion we were having during the break about, you know, it's really about the the psychology of startups, you know, like being able to understand when to do what, when and who to bring into the company and really understanding that. I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your views on the psychology of startups and how that, how founders and even organizations can learn from that experience. Well, um, Startups are really hard, and and you will encounter, your listeners who start companies will encounter all the obstacles that I talked about earlier, or ones like them, you know, having to lay off people, having to cut back salaries, factor receivables, move to smaller offices, deal with terrorist attacks, whatever it may be. And so, I take the position that we need to be very deliberate about building and maintaining our self-confidence. So I have an entire chapter in the book called Growing Your Mind from the Inside Out, which is to build one of your key assets that you bring to starting a business, which is your self-confidence. And that that chapter is full of tips. Here's one of them. Uh, And While I was writing the book, I had the wonderful privilege of working closely with lots of MIT faculty over the five years that I was writing the book from 2011 to 2015. And I learned a great deal from them. One of them that I worked closely with was Professor Anne Graybeal in Brain and Cognitive Science. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Professor Graybeal says is the only way to – break a habit is to start a new habit. Hmm. Uh, And so she talks a lot about how the mind works. And the mind is very much like an iceberg. Only about 10% of it, the part that's above water, uh, are are messages that come into our mind are we consciously aware of. The vast majority of messages that come into our mind are like the 90% of the iceberg that's underwater. We can't see it. We're not even consciously aware of it. But they come in nonetheless. And some of these messages are harmful. And we need to be aware of them uh, so they don't hurt us. And the most 
the most harmful messages are negative messages about ourselves that we repeat about ourselves again and again. If we keep repeating these, the unconscious mind will pick them up, accept them as truth, and they will become true, like a mm-hmm. fate of family. So, uh, or self-fulfilling prophecy. So right. one of the principles in this chapter is never say anything negative about yourself. To be very clear, I'm not worried about what other people say about you. Right. I'm concerned about what your most important audience thinks about you, namely your unconscious mind. And so whenever some negative thought, whatever it might be, about yourself might start to creep into your mind. Maybe it's, I'm no good socially, or I'm no good at math, or I'm no good at sports, whatever it is. Think of a specific moment, no matter how small, where you did the opposite. If it was a social situation, you put everyone at ease. If it was a game, you were the star. If it was the math, you were able to do it in your head. If it was directions, you were able to get us there without even looking at a map. No matter how small the incident is, Uh, Think about it, write down every detail about it, think about it as you're going to bed, and let it squeeze that negative thought out of your mind and let that become your new reality. Mm. So that's one of the techniques uh, in this book. I think that's... I think that is so profoundly important as an entrepreneur. I think that even, and especially for women, I think it's really important to master the the chatter and then especially to, you know, disintermediate the negative chapter, chatter that goes on because there's so much that's happening that you can't afford to be, have yourself not be on your side as well. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you're not going to have bad thoughts or things like that are going to happen, but be mindful about turning it around and using these techniques i think it's this is a brilliant and really important fundamental to the tenacity and to the have the self-confidence to sustain that business growth over time let me just mention one other of the techniques uh in this chapter and yes please do it's, it's, uh, if there is some aspect of yourself that you genuinely cannot change Find a way to view it as an asset, and it will become one of your assets. I use myself as an example. When I was in my mid-30s, I accepted the fact that I'm gay. Mm. Most people would not view this as an asset from a business standpoint. I disagree. For me, it has been an asset in five different ways. Number one, when you're growing up gay, you know unambiguously, with absolute certainty, that at least some of the world's routine assumptions are wrong. People routinely assume that guys are attracted to gals and vice versa. You know that it's not universally correct. And so growing up gay has helped me not necessarily accept the status quo and think outside the box, and that's made me a better entrepreneur. Hmm. Uh, It's also made me a better manager, too. Uh, It wasn't socially acceptable to be openly gay when I was growing up. So at least some of the energy I might have put into dating, I put into sports and studying and career instead. 30 years later, I am hugely enjoying the uh, benefit of that early investment. Maybe I wouldn't have gone to MIT had I not been gay. Mm. Three, I'm not a minority in any sense that I can think of other than being gay. And so it sensitized me to some of the challenges that minorities face. Four, uh, When people see that I'm not trying to hide my sexual orientation, they see I'm being honest with them, and that helps build trust between us. And five, I think it further conveys that I have strength in reserve if I can be open about the fact that I'm gay. So similarly, 
If there is some aspect, any aspect of your listeners' lives that they genuinely cannot change, find a way to view it as a strength. Set the bar very high. Don't use this as an excuse to accept some aspect of yourself that you can change and would like to change. But if you genuinely cannot change it, if you can find a way to view it as a strength, it will be hugely empowering for you as it was for me. And that aspect of yourself will become one of your strengths. Mm-hmm. A, few years, a few years ago, I was sharing this exact same story with a group of undergraduates in, in an auditorium in Guatemala. Right. And as I spoke, uh, a young man about halfway back in the auditorium uh, uh, gently made a fist and slowly raised it to his chest hmm. and pressed it against his chest. And at first, I thought it was a small gesture of agreement or support for what I was saying. But then when I looked again, I could see he wasn't making a fist at all. His hand had no fingers on it. Oh, And I imagine he was saying, this I cannot change. Right, exactly. This is my strength. Mm -hmm. So similarly, if your listeners can genuinely cannot change it, find a way to view it as a strength, it will become one of their strengths. Yeah, that is so important. Uh, What a beautiful story, John. And I've known you for so many years, and I'm inspired by who you are as a person, and the integrity and authenticity that you exude is a helps people rise up to that. And I think that as leaders, that's what we want to see, and that each of us are like that, that each of us have the strength, the passion, the tenacity, the capability to to not only succeed in growing our business, but also growing it and scaling it. And it is about you and who you choose and what you decide to to work with and the unmet needs that you that you build and the thoughts in your head and the people in your life. So it is an ecosystem of being. And I think John provides all of us listeners out here a step-by-step guide on how to deploy these talents, these innate gifts and the the joy of who we are to turn our the things we cannot change into things that are strengths, to change the things that we can change, but not only that, to continue to evolve and be the people we are meant to be. And unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. It's been an absolute honor. Please stay connected with John. John Chisholm can be found through his website for the book, UnleashInnerCompany.com. UnleashYourInnerCompany.com. UnleashYourInnerCompany.com. So stay connected with it, John. It's super important that we that we that we do connect and stay connected. And John, it's been an absolute honor having you on my show today. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you so much. Uh, it's it's just a, the wealth of knowledge that he shares with all of us is so important. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. I, this, again, this this hour flies by. I really appreciate uh, John for being with us today. John Chisholm can be found at unleashyourinnercompany.com. I can be found at, at Kath Calarco on uh, Twitter, or you can reach out via the webpage. I look forward to talking to you next week for another exciting show on Humanity Evolved. This is Catherine Calarco. Thank you so much for being with us today. See you next week.
Thank you for joining Catherine Calarco for this week's edition of Humanity Evolve. Be sure to tune in again next Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. We'll talk again then.